You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. Welcome to the BMJ podcast. This week on BMJ.com, we published research looking at the association between the smoking ban and a drop in acute myocardial infarctions. Anna Gilmore and her team have used data collected from the NHS to work out how MI admissions have dropped since the smoking ban was put in place in 2007. Well, we found that the legislation, having taken all those other factors into account, was associated with a significant reduction in admissions for heart attacks. We'll also hear from the London Health Observatory about how much the drop has saved the NHS. But before all that, I am joined by David Payne, BMJ.com's editor, who's here with his pick from this week's journal. Hi, David. Hello, Duncan. Um, well, the thing that's caught my eye, um, the first thing this week, actually, we haven't yet got online on BMJ.com. It's about to go on, I think, as we speak. But you were actually there. We had our Agents for Change conference in London for junior doctors on Monday this week. And uh, you were there holding the video. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading what Nigel Hawkes uh, has written about the day. What, what for you were the main themes? Um, it's a lot about human factors. It's all explained by James Reason and Sydney Decker, and you can look at that video, which will be on agentsforchange.bmj.com. The other thing they had was a Dragon's Den-style session where junior doctors pitched ideas um, to a panel made up of Kevin Cleary from the NPSA, National Patient Safety Agency, Liz Saunders from the King's Fund, that's a think tank uh, from for health, um, Ian Scott from BAM, the British Association of Medical Managers, and Fiona Godley from the BMJ. Um, there was a, a range of ideas from improving sterile cannulation to a calculator to work out doses of gentamicin. Um, And again, all those are are going to be on video on agentsforchange.bmj.com. Well, I should look forward to seeing those. Um, Yeah, the other thing that caught my eye, Duncan, was this uh, medical classic by Richard Smith this week um, about Enoch Powell's uh, 1966 book, A New Look at Medicine and Politics. And um, Richard Smith does wonder whether this was really the best book ever written about the NHS. Powell was talking about rationing sort of 50 years ago. he wonders whether he would have welcomed the um, National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence. He also talks uh, in the book about the decoupling of the NHS and politics. So that, that caught my eye, particularly because obviously we're having discussions at the moment about um, cost-cutting in the NHS. And uh, just before coming in to talk to you today, I saw a story on the BBC News website about whether NHS Direct, which is the nurse-led helpline, which was launched in 1997 by the new Labour administration, should be scrapped. So I think um, it's, it was just a, very, uh, just a very interesting read for me. Great. And uh, anything else this week? Uh, the other thing I wanted to highlight was um, a discussion thread that started on our community site for doctors, uh, doctordoc.bmj.com. It's been started by a medical student we have working here at the moment called Kate McCann. Um, she started a thread called Top Tips for Tomorrow's Doctors, which is really encouraging qualified and medical students, qualified doctors and medical students, to offer advice to people that are thinking or hoping to start medical school this year. So A-level students, uh, people internationally, um, just to talk about the, you know the, the advice they'd give. Um, so you know about buying textbooks about uh, your social life about which clubs and societies to to join and you know when to think about which specialty you might like to follow so it's already doing rather well and we'd like it to do um, even better so uh, do go and look uh, it's called top tips for tomorrow's doctors at uh, doctordoc.bmj.com great thanks david thank you I'm joined now on the phone by Anna Gilmore. She's director of the Tobacco Control Research Group at the University of Bath. And she and her colleagues have published online this week on bmj.com some research looking 
at the instance of acute myocardial infarction in the NHS since the introduction of the smoke-free legislation. So Anna, first off, for people who aren't in the UK, could you explain what our smoking ban does? Yes, yeah, so the, the smoke, smoke-free legislation in England came in on the 1st of July 2007 and it bans smoking in all substantially enclosed public places, which means places with a roof and um, substantial walls. Uh, there are very detailed definitions, but basically it bans smoking in bars, pubs, restaurants um, and most workplaces. But a, a key issue is that there were already quite a large number of workplaces in England in which smoking was already banned. Voluntarily? Yeah. And you wanted to look at um, the drop in acute myocardial infarction since the smoking ban came in. How did you do that? Well, we took hospital episode statistics data from the five years before the legislation up until 15 months afterwards. And then we used a statistical model to take into account other factors that could cause a decline in heart attacks. And importantly, that included taking into account the fact that underlying trends in admissions for heart attacks were already falling. We took seasonality into account, changes in the population size, trends in temperature, rates of influenza, and then week of the year to catch any other variation in in trends in admissions. Um, And then we used that model to look at the immediate impact of the legislation. So the key research question was, did the number of admissions fall immediately after the 1st of July 2007? Mm-hmm. And we used that to look at the percent decline of admissions. And then we used the model to predict the number of admissions that were prevented in the year after implementation. Okay. So how long did you look at it post-implementation? Fifteen months. That was all the data we had at the time. Okay. And what did you find then? Well, we found that the legislation, having taken all those other factors into account, was associated with a significant reduction in admissions for heart attacks. So if we look at the population as a whole in England, we saw a 2.4% decline. But if we include in in that admission data readmissions, that proportion increases to 2.9%. And this is equivalent to 1,200 fewer admissions in the year after the legislation. Or if you um, include readmissions, it's 1,600. Okay. Was there any difference between ages or sexes and... There were some differences. So those figures I've just given you were for the population as a whole. Um, and then the, the impact in men were clear-cut. The impact in women were less clear-cut. And we didn't actually see a significant impact in women under 60. Okay. Do you know why that is? It's most likely due to the smaller number of heart attacks in that age group or age sex group. Um, so that if you do a power calculation... Um, you would need, you would really, with the, the numbers of heart attacks that we see, only be able to pick up with certainty a 7.5% decline, and and obviously the decline we're seeing is smaller than that. Yes. Now you you seem to have corrected for an enormous amount of things in your study. Was there anything that you were unable to correct for? Well, when you have routine data like this, you're limited by the data that's been collected uh, and you're limited to other variables that you can get data on but we did take into account everything that that we could a key issue is that in this routine data set you can't differentiate between smokers and non-smokers 
So we can't tell whether the reduction of emissions has occurred in smokers or non-smokers. But we will now look at that in, in another data set. So yours isn't the first study of this kind, first looking at the UK, but there's been others looking at states in America, Scotland, Italy. How do your results compare to theirs? Well, we actually see a smaller fall in admissions than most other studies. And we think there are two main reasons for this. Uh, The main reason, I think, is that levels of secondhand smoke exposure in adults in England were lower before the legislation was implemented than in other jurisdictions. So if we just compare England with Scotland, we know that before the legislation came in in England, 55% of adults were already reporting working in a smoke-free environment. And we know that secondhand smoke exposure in England was 50% lower than it was in Scotland just before implementation in each place. Um, And we also know that population exposure to secondhand smoke has been declining over time in England. So uh, that shows us that really the potential for the legislation to reduce exposure and thereby lead to health benefits was lower in England than, for example, Scotland. So with the savings the NHS has to make, uh, the government is still is talking about you know maintaining frontline clinical care. That's that's the big rhetoric. Are you worried that public health might be affected by that, and and that's not necessarily going to be a very cost effective way of spending money? Yeah, I think we always have to be concerned that public health interventions tend to be overlooked, and yet this study really underlines that interventions such as the smoke-free legislation that are cheap and easy to implement they have important health benefits and importantly in, in, in the current context they save the NHS money um, and that money in turn can be recycled into other public health or healthcare initiatives. Now we've heard there a little about the financial impact of the drop in MIs but work from the London Health Observatories qualified that. The Health Observatory Group collectively provides data and intelligence on the health of the nation. And I'm joined on the phone by Dr. Bobby Jacobson, who's director of the London Health Observatory. Now, Dr. Jacobson, you've used Anna's data to calculate how much this reduction in myocardial infarctions has saved the NHS. What did you calculate that figure as? Well, first of all, the... um total that is spent on acute myocardial infarction emergency admissions um, is approximately 350 million. And our estimated cost savings, and they are conservative estimates just for the first year post-legislation, are just over 8.4 million. So that's, that's a relatively big decrease, considering we need to save some money. How did you calculate that? Well, what we did was we worked very closely with Anna Gilmore's team, um, and they used the data that we hold in the Association of Public Health Observatories in hospital episode statistics. And we used the same data sources um, based on their actual findings of a 2.4% reduction in uh, acute myocardial infarction in the first year post-smoke-free legislation. Now, your data doesn't just look at a national level. It it breaks down the cost per PCT uh, to the local levels. What do you hope that will achieve? Well, we know that in an increasingly 
difficult economic climate, there will be pressures for um, increases in cardiac activity, which will be difficult to justify. What our analysis does, we hope, is lend evidence for PCTs in negotiating savings from uh, cardiac care. Okay, and that's obviously very important in a, a climate like we have at the moment. Okay, well, thank you very much, Dr. Jacobson. That's all for this week. Next week, we'll be back with research looking at how the HIV-AIDS pandemic is affecting sub-Saharan Africa's elderly population. And journalist Sophie Airy will be reporting on her recent trip to Haiti. Join us then. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.